listeners. Welcome to another episode, episode 84. Episode 84. Ooh, she's geriatric, honey. So old. I love Old it. but sexy. <laughs> That's us, honestly. That's going to be the name of my third memoir. We may be in our mid-20s, but I think we give off big... 57-year-old divorcee energy. Well, it's like one of my favorite shows is Grace and Frankie, which is about two 70-year-old women. And I strongly see them and uh, and in us and us in yeah. them. Appearing into our future. Yeah. Um, You're it's Grace, a- I'm Frankie. <laughs> Obviously. Yes, that, that's obvious. But we're not here to talk about anything fun. Not today, not today. What are you going to talk about this week, Al? Today, I'm going to talk about microplastics. Ooh, I know they're bad, but I don't totally know why. That's exactly why. That's where I started. Yeah. <laughs> and still where I am, really. Whenever we do anything sciencey, it's like, you're going to get like an eighth of yeah. information. Yeah, just um, a teaser. It's just a teaser. And Sam, what are you going to talk about? I'm going to talk about jukebox musicals. Thank goodness. I know you've all been waiting for my hot take on jukebox <laughs> musicals and, well, wait no further. With bated breath. <laughs> Waiting for you to, to tell the people what's what. But first, let's talk about something that will probably end the world. I don't know. Um, Al, talk to me about microplastics. Teeny tiny plastic. Tiny plastic. It sounds cute almost, but I don't think it is. It's not. No. Um, so we all know that Mother Earth is dying slowly at our own hands. Yeah, absolutely. So we're, we're choking our mother to yes, death. That's our foundation. It's just like, have to. you seen that movie Mother! Exclamation point? I liked it. <laughs> Everyone hated it. It sounded bad. It was bad, but I liked it. <laughs> Fair enough. Those things can exist. Yeah, no, um, I'm about to talk about jukebox musicals, so yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. How dare you? Um... But yeah, there's so many ways that we're slaughtering our Earth Mother. We daren't even count them. No. But we're going to count a little bit. Let's count at least one We're going to channel AOC today and get some, you know, some of the environment up in us. Yeah. In our hearts. Um, up in get us. Some, uh, get some ecology Hot. inside of you. We're going to be like two sexy Bill Nyes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Bill Nyes with just gargantuan breasts. Yes. Come hither outfits. If that's what it takes to get you guys to give a shit about the environment, yeah. no one's asking for that. I'm wearing like a doctor's coat, but like nothing else. Yep. But we're, we are equipped with the facts. Yeah. But Ali is fully dressed as a, as a geologist. <laughs> like I got my PhD at blah, blah, blah. I don't even know where I would get a PhD in ecology. That's how stupid I am. Um, any, any what? Anyway. Um, so I'm going to break down this topic, microplastics, into some big chunks because one of the reasons that I picked microplastics was I knew it was bad but I didn't know why or how or what like yes how what where when why so we're gonna talk about what it is mm-hmm. where it comes from mm-hmm. what the consequences of it are mm-hmm. and then what we can do about it at the end <gasps> wow that's exciting I'm excited because um, there's uh, there's so much here and I'm not gonna be able to cover everything I'm not gonna be able to cover every source of it mm-hmm. every consequence and the this, the research is kind of changing every day as we get more information. So this is really an overview, and that's kind of that's kind of all I can do for you today. If you came to us for hard hitting science, why? Why are you? Why are you here? <laughs> why did you do that? If you're playing this in a classroom right now, stop. If you're looking for hard hitting science, I recommend Radio Lab. If you're looking for two sassy women probably talking about their vaginas at some point in this episode, any podcast, stay where they are. <laughs> stay right where you are. Um, so. With that in mind, microplastics. So what is it? In simple terms, the baseline definition of microplastics are that they are a particle of plastic that is smaller than five millimeters 
that is currently polluting a natural ecosystem. So I, get, I mean, technically microplastics are just any plastic smaller than five millimeters, but the way we talk about them, usually they are in the process of polluting a natural ecosystem. Um, just for scale, that's about a sesame seed size. Oh, interesting. So kind of anything smaller than a sesame seed. So I'm going to be really bummed out when I start eating sesame bagels. No, the sesame seeds themselves are fine. They're unnatural. But they're going to make me think about this. That's if you if you let that happen. I'm gonna. Because I like to think okay. about the things you tell me all the time. If it makes you like donate to the World Wildlife Fund, that's that okay. Would be, that would be good. Fair enough. Um, so microplastics are separated into one of two categories mainly. And that is primary microplastic and secondary microplastic. And I will let marinedebris.gov, .gov means they know what they're talking about. Official. Tell you the difference <laughs> between those two because I can't. Um, so they say primary microplastics are manufactured as microbeads, capsules, fibers, or pellets. Examples include microbeads used in cosmetics and personal care products, industrial scrubbers used for abrasive blast cleaning, microfibers used in textiles, and virgin resin pellets used in plastic manufacturing. So that's basically things that are produced to be microplastic. Yes. They are made micro. Yes. <laughs> Does that make sense? Micro by name, micro by... Micro by nature. Micro Absolutely. By nature. So secondary microplastics are the result of larger pieces of plastic breaking down into smaller pieces. And this occurs when plastic debris is exposed to sunlight and the plastic be begins to weather and fragment. Mm -hmm. So like sunlight, water, the ocean. Ooh, yikes. <laughs> when things start to break down. Um, Sam, I'm just curious, which one of these do you think is a bigger problem? I would guess neither are great, but because we as a society love to dump garbage into the ocean, I'm going to guess the second one. That's right. Mm. That is right. I was hoping I'd be wrong, because then we could just stop both making a, yeah, microplastics. They're both a problem, but it's so much easier to rec regulate primary microplastics yeah. and just be like, don't make microbeads. Yeah. Don't we do don't that. need them. Then to stop the, you know. Natural breakdown. Natural breakdown of larger plastics yeah. that end up in our ocean. Um, so there is another type that is similar to secondary, which is just the debris created from wear and tear of plastic in machinery or even in something like clothing. So just from wear and tear rather mm -hmm. than from natural, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Degradation. De yeah, decay's not <laughs> De quite right. Decay's kind of right. Um, you know, as it, as it just wears down. Um, and then there's also something called nanoplastics, um, which is a particle of plastic smaller than 100 nanometers. I don't have a sesame seed equivalent. It's just really freaking small. Really tiny. Um, and I have a quote from Wikipedia that kind of gets into more of more things than we're talking about in terms of what they are, but I just had to read it because it was so spooky. Um, so Wikipedia says, nanoplastics are thought to be a risk to environmental and human health. Due to their small size, nanoplastics can cross cellular membranes and affect the functioning of cells. What? Nanoplastics are lithophilic. Don't know what that means. Bad. And models show that polyethylene nanoplastics can be incorporated into the hydrophobic core of lipid bilayers. What does that mean? It's, I didn't look it up. It sounds I bad. won't tell you because I don't want to know. Yeah, frankly, I'm glad that I'm just a little confused. But it, yep. it certainly sounds bad that these plastics can get into cells. That's yeah. a red flag right there. Um, and so it goes on to say, like, little is known on the adverse health effects of nanoplastics in organisms, including humans. Um, but there is... Um, evidence in some fish that it's, you know, degrading to their health. Yeah. Obviously. So that's just 
terrifying and weird. Yeah, yikes. Nanoplastic? What? <laughs> we were talking about microplastic. Yeah. I didn't even what think I had even? to worry about smaller plastic. So that's what it is. It's tiny. It's, it's tiny plastic, basically. It's like There's a couple ways it can get tiny, but it's tiny plastic and a shit ton of it's in our ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, where does it come from? So we're at part number two now. Ooh. Following along at home. So some of the things I just mentioned kind of por- point towards some of the sources of microplastic. Um, and I'm also going to remind you yet again, this is just an overview, overview. I'm not telling you every single place microplastics come from because that's impossible. Um, but I'll go through some of the major ones. So um, a couple I just mentioned are cosmetics, textiles, and large pieces of discarded plastic breaking down. Some other sources are from sewage treatment where microplastics are used to monitor hygiene and to clean sewage systems. Um, oh. Another form is from tires. So if you think about it, if a tire on a car there's little pieces of plastic and rubber kind of coming off of it so that can enter the ecosystem that way um so cosmetics specifically are usually producing microplastics in the form of micro exfoliants and microbeads like we talked about though many cosmetics companies almost all of them at this point have switched to things like pumice oatmeal or i know like lush uses like walnut shells yeah (laughs) just things that are a natural exfoliant because they're so easy to find. Like, yeah. you could use literally anything. You could use sand. We like, do not need fine. to be... Ex- we don't need to do, do it. We <laughs> do not need plastic exfoliants. Um, I do remember a period in 2007 where all my facial cleansers had microbeads in them. Yes, absolutely. It was, like, grapefruit. Yes. And, I, like, even the... I it was, this, like, Neutrogena. Yeah. It was pink. It was bright pink or orange. Um, and I didn't give a shit about it because I was like, what is microplastics? It wasn't even the news yet. Um, but my favorite is the St. Ives apricot scrub, and I think that's natural. I think that's like walnut shell or At something. At this point, like that. it probably is. Yeah, it is. Um, actually, I don't want to say it is because it could be a microplastic and then I'm endorsing it. Um, but I, I just like that fucking face scrub. I know that's you do. That's all I'm going to say about it's it. It's one of your faves. Um, so some other ones are from mass manufacturing of clothing. That's one that surprised me, actually, because I'm yeah. like, clothing? What's. But if you think about it, if synthetic fibers like polyester or nylon are being mass produced, it's going to create debris. Yeah. Um, so that's that's a big one, actually. And then another huge one is plastic water bottles and beverage bottles. Uh. So the bottling and packaging of water creates microplastic. But this is like, rather than just putting it into the world, like they showed, one study showed that bottled water contained twice as much microplastic as tap water. So drinking it is... Yeah. It's got a lot of micro... I can't say it's bad or good. I think it's bad. But yeah. it's like, we don't really know what it means. Mm-hmm. But either way, it's got twice as much microplastic as tap does. So naturally, there is an endless source of microplastic. Wherever there is plastic, there is the opportunity to create that. Um, and to give you some perspective, like you correctly guessed earlier, um, 70%, 75% of microplastic in the ocean is due to pollution via breakdown of larger materials like plastic bags, water bottles, etc. Um, so I mean that that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> That's that a huge out. problem. It's not facial cleanser. Mm-hmm. That's not the biggest baddie here. It's really just like our oceans are polluted and we need to do something about it. Yeah. Um, and then the second largest some people believe the second largest culprit is clothing manufacturing, like we just talked about. Huh. Um yeah, it's it's weird. Like the big talking point in the news is usually like microbeads Mm -hmm. and that primary form of microplastic Mm -hmm. that's not the biggest problem though yeah that's not actually where we need to be focusing our legislation on yeah um it's like you can legislate microbeads all you want which is good please do that 
Um, but let's well, just do some other stuff too. Yeah, that's not actually gonna show us the largest decrease. Yeah, it reminds me of when we talked about like plastic straws and single-use plastic. Exactly. It's like, yeah, getting rid of plastic straws is like a good step, but it's not the thing that is the big, big problem. Yeah. It's indicative of a larger consumer problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's move on to the consequences. What does this mean? Why is this bad? It's probably fine. <laughs> I'm sure it's fine. I mean, it's just plastic. We use plastic all the time. And this one's tiny. It's micro. It's micro. It's not a big problem. It's a micro problem. Exactly. Well, Sam, as much as I hate liberal propaganda, <laughs> and, I know, and I know you, you know do. I do, you know I do, <laughs> um, this is not not the future the libs want. This is just a big uh-oh, planet-wise. <sighs> it just is. Um, so I'm going to quote from the Washington Post, which is a pretty liberal thing for me to do. Um, they had this to say in an article from last month, so October of 2019. What many people don't know is that we're doing more than just using plastic. We're ingesting it too. When you eat a bite of food or even have a sip of water, you're almost certainly taking in tiny plastic particles along with it. These ubiquitous fragments are known as microplastics. This is just kind of, you know. Letting you know They're telling up. us what we already know. We're experts at this point. <laughs> um... Because research into microplastics is so new, there's not enough data to say exactly how they're affecting human health. Um, But there cannot be no effect, said Pete Myers, founder and chief scientist of the nonprofit Environmental Health Sciences and adjunct professor of chemistry at Carnegie Mellon. It's likely that ingesting microplastics could further expose us to chemicals found in some plastics that are known to be harmful. So, like, we already know it's not great to, like, drink out of plastic water bottles all the time. Yeah. This is probably just similar to that. Yeah. Um, in maybe a more pervasive way, maybe not. Mm-hmm. We can't tell <laughs> because we don't know. Um, these chemicals have been linked to a variety of health problems, including reproductive harm and obesity, plus issues such as organ problems and developmental delays in children. So mm-hmm. serious stuff. Yeah. Um, and that's really discomforting. It's like I, I somehow I thought oh, this is just a problem for fish. Like, fish (laughs) live in the ocean, so they're ingesting plastic, but I don't eat that much fish, which is totally not taking into consideration the fact that we live in an ecosystem. And when one thing gets affected, we all get affected. And, you know, things just get spread around. And it's not just fish that are eating it. It's getting into everything. It's not just even in the oceans. And a big problem here is that we don't have enough information about what it's doing to our ecosystem and our bodies. So we can't even, you know, market microplastics are bad and here's why because it's doing this. It's new. Like, we don't know exactly what's happening and we might not know until it's really affected our health in a a poor way. Mm -hmm. Um, Like many women were drinking and smoking while pregnant. Until we realized, oh, this is hugely bad. <laughs> yeah. But that had already happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but my parents are fine. And <laughs> I think their their moms probably drank and smoked while they were pregnant. Um, but yeah, we just don't know what it's going to do long term. Mm-hmm. And that's scary. And the other thing that is troubling, there's not a ton of science on this. But I think I, think I needed to mention it because it's spooky. And that's why we're here. I'm scared. Is that there's science to suggest that microplastic can be... Um, that microplastic can enter animals and humans via ingestion or respiration. So we could breathe in microplastic and nanoplastic particularly. Like if there's all these particles around and they're getting smaller and smaller and smaller as, you know, you can't just like recycle plastic. It doesn't break down the way that other natural resources do. Yeah. You know, we are at some level breathing in plastic 
that's terrifying to think about. Yeah, it's not great for the asthmatics in the house. No, which is both of us. <laughs> the, the two of us, at the very least. Two young nerds here. And you know, like, this is going to depend on where you live. If you live in a highly, like, polluted area, that's mm. going to more, like, affect you at a larger rate. But it's just, like, an extremely troubling prospect. Yeah. This is a problem that gets so tiny that it's huge. Mm-hmm. So what can we do about this, Sam? Do Can we do anything? What can two tw- women in their 20s do about this? Um, well, the Washington Post article that I quoted before actually had some handy tips at Thanks, the bottom Washington of Post. that article about how to avoid microplastic personally. So how to kind of protect yourself. Okay. Um, so drink water from your tap. Mm-hmm. Um, drinking water is one of the biggest contributors to microplastic ingestion. So try not to drink bottled water. We all do it sometimes. We all do it sometimes, but I've I gotten really better. really try not to. I've, I think, yeah, I've gotten better too. Yeah, because I have a Brita now, so that helps. I have a really pretty water bottle. Inve- invest in a water bottle that makes you think, ooh, I'm someone I'm yeah. not, and and then that's fine. Um, don't heat food in plastic. Mm-hmm. So heated plastics have been known to leach chemicals into food, um, so that's going to double for microplastics. Um, avoid plastic food containers with known issues. Um, this I didn't understand. They said that recycling codes three, six, and seven have kind of like bad chemicals in them. I don't know where I would find those numbers. I think it's like, you know, on like the bottom of like your stuff, there's mm-hmm. like a, the, the triangle that has the arrows. Okay. That's where you find it I think it then, in maybe. the middle of that is sometimes a number that tells you like how to recycle it and it's like three or All right. seven. Okay. Think. That sounds right. If I'm wrong, tweet at me because I'd love to be educated. Yell at her aggressively. Scream at me. I deserve to be cyber bullied. <laughs> Next one, eat more fresh food. The fresher your food is, um, the lower levels of microplastics. I think that might not go for fish, but we don't know yet. Um, but basically anything wrapped in plastic mm-hmm. is at a higher level of risk for microplastic. That does make sense. Minimize household dust. This is something I didn't think of, is if you have a lot of dust in your house, there's probably a lot of microplastic in your dust. So huh. kind of keeping dust out of your home as best you can and vacuuming, all that stuff. So many of these tips are just like, just be a just be functional a adult. Just, just be eat, an adult. Eat fresh food, clean your damn house. Like, have a water bottle, and I'm like, like, I can't do it. If I won't do that for just my happiness, I sure as hell won't do it to keep from eating plastic every now and again. (laughs) Um, And the last one that they say is think big picture. And so along the lines of that, I think they kind of talk about, you know, contributing to uh, policies limiting single-use plastic and helping to clean up the ecosystems in your community. yeah, and thinking about lessening the impact of microplastics on the planet. Um, but the main big thing there is we need to get plastic and pollutants out of our oceans. Yeah. That is a huge, huge pressure on our environment, on our future. And this often, frustratingly, has less to do with the individual consumer and much, much more to do with large companies exploiting natural resources. The individual, there's, and I don't want to be negative, but there's not a ton that the individual can do on a behavioral basis. Yeah. That doesn't mean you shouldn't. It's it's important that you do those things mm-hmm. to lead to, you know, communal shifts and, and societal shifts. But, you know, we what we need is legislation keeping large companies from exploiting natural resources and exploiting their environment. Yeah. Um, there was a microbead-free water act passed by Barack Obama in 2015, which, again great. Yes. <laughs> That's when like microbeads were like the big scary thing. But you know, as we kind of learned here, 
the biggest problem is ocean pollution. So some things you can do personally to support um, nationwide and global change are donating to marine conservation organizations like the Ocean Conservancy, World Wildlife Fund, and Coral Reef Alliance. Those are large ones, but there's lots of community ones. There's ones for your state. There's ones for your ocean. Wow. Um, there's, there's plenty um, out there that are doing really good work. And there's also, you know, you can volunteer. You absolutely can do that. You can volunteer to kind of clean up the ecosystems and marine systems in your community. And you can vote for politicians who take ecology and conservation seriously. That's that's probably one of the biggest ones. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, that's gonna that's what's gonna ultimately change things for our environment. So that is a, a toe dip into microplastics. Wow. Um, it's a really big topic on a very tiny particle. Whoa. Um, and it, a lot of it is confusing, and a lot of it is like science e, but. Basically, what it boils down to is we gotta get the fucking plastic out of our oceans. We gotta do our best. To we do gotta that. do our best, and we gotta we gotta think about it. Mm-hmm. We gotta at least think about it. Yeah. and bring it up every now and again. So, I don't know. I tried. No, that was very informative. Thank you so much. So that, them's microplastics. That's something I never would have researched. So I appreciate that you did that because that's the kind of thing where I'm just like, I don't want to feel bad about drinking water bottles, but I should feel bad about drinking water bottles sometimes. Well, I don't know how accurate that last half was because I did the last half while we were watching The Mandalorian, <laughs> which was good. Which so was good. I was paying attention. I to- said put on something that I don't care about while I was researching, and then I was like, this is good. <laughs> we tried. Thanks, Disney Plus. <laughs> yeah. Fuck Hoping for a sponsorship deal with Disney Plus. Imagine if they sponsored this rinky-dink podcast. That would be hilarious. We'd have to stop swearing, probably, which would be problematic. I think it's fine. <laughs> I think it should be fine. Or like a PG-13 movie, we'd be allowed one fuck per episode. And we'd have to really think about it. I mean, I'll take it. Imagine <laughs> what they'd pay us. That's so true, yeah. I'll I would take stop. it down to one I'd fuck. stop swearing in my real life if would Disney would pay me. Would I ask for three to five? I would ask for that. But if they said no, I would deal with it. Um... All right, Sam, it's time for something much, much more important to our global state than microplastics. I will say this. I will say you're not going to feel as much existential angst with my topic this week as you will. Big disagree, but okay. (laughs) With Allie's. So today we're going to talk about uh, the rise and rise of the Jukebox musical. Yikes. Uh, Why they are maybe not great. But then also my top five favorite jukebox musicals, Mm -hmm. uh, because as we all know, I am the Tsarina of garbage. Yes, you Um, are. So let's just jump into it. What is a jukebox musical? I know. Um, uh, My boyfriend, I told him I was doing this and he was like, what is that? And I was like, number one, we're breaking up. Number two, listen to the podcast. So (laughs) hi, babe. Love you. Uh, You better be listening or else. Thank you for tuning in. (laughs) But so Jukebox Musical um, is a musical film or stage presentation featuring songs of popular music acts. Basically a musical where the music existed by another artist before the performance did, right? So think, you know. Can't you just say Mamma Mia? I'm going to talk about. That's what a Jukebox Musical is. Yes. I'm going to talk about Mamma Mia later, but yes. Though I think of Jukebox Musicals as it's all one artist. That is like, yeah, that's, I would say that's like the, the prevalent form, but it can also be all from one, like, genre, genre, all from one, like, time period, you know what I mean? All from one... I can only hope we're going to talk about Rock of Ages. Um, we can talk about Rock of Ages. (laughs) It's not on my list, but... But Rock of Ages is a great example where it's all, like, 80s hair metal. Yeah. And they made that into a musical. That's a jukebox musical. It was a good time. Yeah, there you go. I had a good time. 
Um, so th these used to be really popular as films because back in like the 50s, there was a way thinner line between like popular music and musical music. Mm -hmm. um, like just listen to White Christmas and so many of those songs are like pop songs, but also they were in this musical. So it was just like a way more permeable thing. Right. Um, but of course, as time has gone on, the difference between musical music and pop music has become much bigger. So these type of movies aren't as popular anymore, although they still exist. Um, one example being there was like a Beatles movie that came out that. <laughs> I wish we saved all your ba ba da ba da's. Every episode would be eight hours. Yeah. Um, there was a Beatles one that came out not that long ago that was called Yesterday. There was the um, like the Elton John bio biopic biopic that came out biopic i think i've heard it both ways and i'm always so confused have I, you really i always thought it was biopic but then i started hearing people say biopic, biopic? yeah that sounds so wrong i always thought that sounded wrong too. i'm gonna put i'm gonna put a poll on twitter about this please do to try to figure out what people think i would love to know what's correct biopic sounds like a robot i know or like a like a medical thing like, bio we picture. just have to get a that's a what biography I picture. That's what I thought. We don't have to keep talking about this, but I really think it's biopic. Anyways, the Elton John one that came out, that could be considered right. a jukebox musical. Um, but today, what we're going to really talk about is the theatrical jukebox musical. Um, and those really kind of kicked off in popularity in the 70s. Um, throughout that decade, there were five stage jukebox musicals featuring musical acts like the Beatles and Elvis Presley. There was one that was like all his music. Mm hmm Throughout the 80s, there were, like, another five-ish. And then we get a slight uptick in the 90s where there are nine stage jukebox musicals. Um, we are only going to talk about one 90s jukebox musical, though. The musical that defined and amplified the trend. The musical that has been seen by 65 million people. And which has grossed about $4 billion worthwhile. Worthwhile? <laughs> that has grossed about $4 billion worldwide since its 1999 debut. The Big Daddy, or should I say, The Big Mama. It's Mama Mia. Mama Mia. How much of that $4 billion went directly to Meryl Streep? So much of it. All of it, I hope. Mama Mia is the progenitor of the modern jukebox musical movement. This musical was the brainchild of producer Judy Kramer, a legend, an icon, a star for only this reason. She met with songwriters Bjorn Ulvaeus and Benny Anderson in 1983 when they were working on a different musical called Chess, about chess. Chess is garbage. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. <laughs> Every theater kid out there knows that chess, chess is, is garbage. Chess is not good. Um, and it was the song The Winner Takes It All that suggested to Judy that there was theatrical potential in Abba's pop songs. So the songwriters were not enthusiastic but they were also not completely opposed to the idea, so the green light was given. Imagine being like, well, I don't think a musical based on the music of ABBA will be as good as chess, but you can try, Judy. Um, and she tried and she didn't. So Mamma Mia was a hit with both critics and audiences. Audiences because, obviously. It's good. It's good. It is good. But critics as well because of the feminist themes of the show. So librettist Katherine Johnson managed to, like, express themes of female friendship, of single motherhood, and, like, a feminist struggle through, like, a transformation of ABBA's music. And she was able to turn these kind of stereotypical songs into empowering ones by, like, through the lens of this story and by having characters of different genders sing them. 
basically Mamma Mia's plot heightens the song to a new, even better level. Like, Gimme 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 A Man After Midnight, a fine song, a banger, I would even say. Gimme 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 A Man After Midnight, but Sophie's trying to figure out which man is her dad. I prefer it. Chills. Chills. Full body chills. Even, and expanded upon even more greatly by the movie adaptation, (laughs) I would say. Um, So even now, this was my favorite stat that I found on Wikipedia, and it did say citation needed, but I'm going to choose to believe it's true. Even now, around the world, there are at least seven performances of Mamma Mia being performed today. Every Every day? day? There are at least seven performances of Mamma Mia. Nice. That's how massive Mamma Mia is. I love that. So obviously this happened, and every producer in the world said, I want that. And so we see this huge increase in the number of stage jukebox musicals. Mamma Mia opened in 1999, and between 2000 and 2005, there are 20 new stage jukebox musicals. So just think, in the 70s there were five, in the 80s there were five, in the 90s there was like maybe 10, and then in just the first half of the 2000s, there was 20. Because of Mamma Mia. Because of, literally because of Mamma Mia. Um, it's just such a massive rise. Um, and this first burst gave us mega hits like The Boy From Oz and All Shook Up and Jersey Boys. Um, but it also gave us some big old flops. Case in point, Lennon. I don't even know about this. Lennon was a 2005 biomusical about the life and times of John Lennon. Which are a bummer. Yeah. In many ways. And the director and book writer, Don Scardino, chose to almost exclusively base the musical on Lennon's own words and to focus on Lennon's solo career with no songs from the Lennon-McCartney catalog. A garbage decision. (laughs) Yeah. So the choice was very unpopular, with critics calling the piece Ono-centric, which is hilarious that that's the way they're referring to it. And Yoko Ono, who was involved with the musical and had script approval rights was unapologetic and she said, quote, if we put yesterday in, it's not really fair to the Beatles because we're leaning on their power. We're talking about John now. Thank you. I mean, I get it, <laughs> but don't. But if you're, it's, you know, if it's about the life of John Lennon, the Beatles were part of that. Also, most of the music he made with Yoko was garbage. <laughs> that was, I think, the problem. Yeah. So it was a $7 million biomusical and it first opened in San Francisco, California in April of 2005. The tryout has been referred to as troubled, (laughs) um, as there was a delay in the Broadway production and a massive rewrite after the fundamental bits of the book were changed. Namely, in the original San Francisco production, the role of Lennon was played by performers of both sexes and different ages and skin colors, because Scardino said he was inspired by I Am the Walrus, in which Lennon writes, I am he as you are he as you are me and we are all together. So he based the play on that, I guess. (laughs) He based a whole play off I Am the Walrus. And so this use of multiple actors was kind of scaled back as like the San Francisco production was getting rewritten. And by the final rewrite that went to Broadway, there was only a single actor who was playing Lennon, which uh, probably made for a narratively more cohesive show. Mm. The show finally opened on Broadway where it had 42 previews and 49 performances from the 14th of August to the 24th of September, 2005. And then it closed, and it's never been heard of again. Like Taboo. Yeah, it's a lot like Taboo, (laughs) uh, which I think was also a jukebox musical, so there you go. Yeah, but at least that had a cult following. (laughs) So mixed success here with these jukebox musicals, but ultimately, 
in the OOs, there was 42 produced jukebox musicals. Oh my god. <laughs> that's so many. And that's just the one that Wikipedia knew about. You know what I mean? Like, there are some, you know, pe- there are probably so some, some plucky really... theater students who did a couple. Exactly. And that brings us to today, or at least to this kind of decade. From 2010 to 2019, we have had 48 jukebox musicals. 48! That could fill an entire Broadway season. There's usually like 30-ish new shows in New York per mm-hmm. season. They could all be jukebox musicals. No thanks. And sometimes they are. <laughs> and sometimes it really feels like they are. Uh, and again, the success has been mixed. 2010's Million Dollar Quartet, which dramatized the Million Dollar Quartet recording session among early rock and roll and country stars Elvis, Johnny Cash, Carl Perkins, and Jerry Lee Lewis, was a massive hit. Yeah, I heard that was really good. Yeah. 2014's Holla If You Hear Me, featuring rap music of Tupac Shakur, lasted only 17 previews and 38 performances on Broadway. Mm. Not as Not as successful. So, why am I horrified by the jukebox musical? Admittedly, I am often not. I love trash. (laughs) But what they represent on the whole is kind of like a safe, unoriginal choice for theater producers. Yes. Producers feel like jukebox musicals have a built-in audience, the fans of the music. But they too often assume that the fans want the music delivered to them just like the album, with something simple for set dressing, and done. You've got your next Mamma Mia. But like... You don't. The fresh thing about Mamma Mia was that the story illuminated the music in new ways. Not that it was four people on stage singing ABBA songs. It innovated. That was music. Yeah, that would just be an ABBA concert. You can't just be Mamma Mia just like that. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Um, But yeah, to me, that's what it seems like the difference between like a shitty jukebox musical and a good one is you want to use the music as a tool to tell the story, not the story as an excuse to play the music. You know what I mean? Yes. Good point. Um, And theater critic Nelson Presley wrote a really interesting piece. Uh, He reviewed The Cher Show, which is a jukebox musical about the life of Cher, and Summer, which is a jukebox musical about the life of Donna Summer, uh, for The Washington Post. And in his piece, he said, For bored or outraged critics, jukebox musicals are Broadway's most cynical money grabbers, mainly good for offering reviewers the chance to see who can gag the loudest. The The critiques are legit. Too many jukebox projects are pale, confused imitations. Since Mamma Mia cracked the code, the easiest thing to do is say yes to a title or catalog that has worked before. It's lazy. The flops, from Earth, Wind, and Firebomb Hot Feet, more than a decade ago, <laughs> oh, no. to the Jimmy Buffett Escape to Margaritaville last season. Oh my season. god. Really? <laughs> they did that? Oh yeah, that was on Broadway. Um, the, the flops seem to outnumber the hits, yet jukebox musicals keep coming. Tina Turner, Michael Jackson, and Alanis Morissette shows are all in advanced stages of evolution, as is the hits-driven show Moulin Rouge. And Broadway is just one facet of a phenomenon that saturates U.S. theater. And that's the other thing, is like, these jukebox musicals aren't just staying on Broadway, and I keep citing those numbers because they're easy to find, but these are the musicals that are getting produced in like every regional theater all across the country, and original musicals don't get the chance to be seen Mm because they're not considered as safe. Mm Mm-hmm. It feels to me like the same thing as, like, the spate of movie remakes we've had. Where, Absolutely. like, everything's, like, Jurassic Park, but the world. Or, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like, absolutely. They just think that it's not, it's not worth it to gamble on something that could flop, but could be really new and interesting. Um, I scrolled through Broadway.com and found about eight jukebox musicals currently running or about to run on Broadway. That is a lot. That's a lot. And some of them are going to be great, but not all of them are going to be great. And are some of them taking a spot that an exciting new musical or play could be in? 
Heather should be back on Broadway for God's sake. Amen. <laughs> Heather's was so good. <sighs> I can't even talk about it. And not even that, like how many community theaters are going to do Jersey Boys this year instead of something new and challenging and that maybe has people of color in it? That's true. It's just painting one picture of Broadway. Yeah. Which is already totally whitewashed. Absolutely. So that's kind of my argument against the jukebox musicals. I think we have to be mindful of how much of our content we're just recycling. That being said, it is okay to like things. And so here's my top five jukebox musicals of all time. Yay. (laughs) I know you're going to talk about Cruel Intentions. Uh, Number five, Cruel Intentions. There you go. Cruel Intentions. (laughs) It's only this low on the list because it's really hard to find a bootleg and I don't think they're touring anymore. So I don't want to like bait people with this and then they can't find it anymore. I would give you any amount of money out of my wallet to get you there. Thank you. I really almost went. They were in, like, Rhode Island, and I was almost like, should I go to this? I think it was on a Tuesday. I was like, oh, we can go. And then I think you were like, it's on, like, a Sunday night. Yeah, we were. I don't think I can do that. Yeah, I think we were both. I was like, oh, maybe. And you were like, yeah, maybe. And then we looked, and it was like, oh, no. I regret not doing that for you, though. I'm sorry. (laughs) But Cruel Intentions is based on a movie from the 90s that was incredible, and it's a 90s jukebox musical. So it's mostly, like, songs that were in the soundtrack of the movie. Mm -hmm. But it's, like, so kitschy so funny it's like a really immersive staging so the characters are like running around it's kind of meant to be staged in like a bar um and then they did a tour that was like in classic staging which i find more boring do it in a bar (laughs) that's better for these horny teenagers um but yeah it, it certainly it was great uh, the, their rendition of Love Fool was by the Cardigans was incredible. <laughs> so there's that. Number four, I have never seen this, but as I was um, scrolling through jukebox musicals that existed, I saw this, and it's now my fourth favorite. Cyrano de Burger Shack. I'm sorry? <laughs> it's called Cyrano de Burger Shack, and it features artists ranging from Carly Rae Jepsen to Smash Mouth. All right, I'm in. I'm absolutely in. If Is any- it based off Cyrano? <laughs> it must be. If anyone knows anything about this musical, I beg you to tweet at me. <laughs> I did not. You put this on your top five just because you like the concept? Yes. It's, All right. I'm in. All right. I'm absolutely in. Okay. Number three, Head Over Heels. Uh, Head Over Heels was just on Broadway pretty recently, and it is the Go-Go's musical. Um, so it's all music by either Belinda Carlisle or, or the Go-Go's, Head Over Heels, Our Lips Are Sealed. Love it. Uh, all those fun bangers. It takes place in, like, Elizabethan times, and it really examined, like, gender and like attraction and like those concepts it sounded really really fun and i've watched a few clips from it and it seems like it was a total blast so if you got to see that good for you number two mama mia i must bow down how is mama mia not number one my number one is very special to me um but mama mia i would like to speak about for just another minute it's a blast um lay all your love on me is the most sexual tension i've seen on stage between any people Agreed. in the world Agreed. and in the movie. And I've, people, I've seen people have sex on stage Yeah, several different productions. Lay All Your Love on Me is better. It's better. Yeah, absolutely. And then number one, Xanadu. Oh my God. Xanadu is based on a movie that I starred should have known. Olivia Newton-John from, I think, 1980. And it's all the music of ELO. But here's the thing about Xanadu. They, the movie was not good. So the writers of Xanadu <laughs> knew that and they made it a hundred times better in this new version by making it just so funny. The main character is on roller skates the whole time. Like the main dude is just meant to be an absolute idiot. And then they sing like Evil Woman and you're like, I'm here for it. I do love Yellow. Yeah, it's a really good show. And it's really fun. It's really great for like small community theaters because it's a small cast. It's a one act musical. It's hits, so people like to come and see it. But then it's, like, 
so fucking weird at the it's same a time. It's punch in the face of fun. It absolutely is. And you can find bootleg versions of Xanadu on the internet, and I highly recommend you do. It is a very fun 90 minutes. Okay. <laughs> we'll all do that for you. And you look condescending right I'm now I'm not being me, condescending. But I support you. It's true. It's very good. We'll watch Xana a bootleg. <laughs> it is. It's very Xanadu. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but that's, so that's my quick guide to jukebox musicals. Let me know if you have a favorite. I wanted to put, like, I almost put American Idiot on here. Like, there's been a lot of really popular I think that's ones. that's probably one of my favorites. Yeah. One of the, yeah, I, I love, well, I love Green Day. And, the, yes. and they're a little right that, like, if I love the music, I'm more likely to get interested in it. Absolutely. But that doesn't really change my opinion. And I do, yeah, usually I'm very skeptical of jukebox musicals. Yeah. I'm like, it's probably going to be bad. Yeah. And if it's good, it's going to surprise me. And I'm especially skeptical when it's just, like, the life of the person. Like, when the Cher show is just, like, it's about Cher's life. I was yes, like, okay. I agree, because that's a hard thing to shove together. Jersey yeah. Boys did it pretty well. Jersey Boys did a good job. But Jersey Boys didn't try to shove the plot into the songs, yeah. really. It was mostly like, the plot was the plot of Frankie Valli, and it was just like, every so often he'd sing a song, yeah. because he was singing songs in his career. He's and I was Valley. like, yeah, that makes sense. Um, one of the ones, oh, it just flew out of my head. Um, one of my favorites, and I'm gonna get shredded for this, so, like, move over Xanadu, because this is polarizing, is I loved Rock of Ages. A I lot really of loved Rock of Ages. Loved Rock the of movie Ages. was hot garbage. Yes. But I went to see it with my mom mm-hmm. and her, one of her friends, and one of my friends, and it was funny. It was, like, really funny, and it didn't take itself seriously at all. That's what I think you And need. the plot matched the energy of the music, mm-hmm. and it just was really silly and funny and captured captured in essence while adding a little something new yes um and i it definitely wasn't mama mia quality like narratively mm-hmm. like it but it, it, that wasn't the point yes it was just like a, a bunch of fun and yeah. i really liked it i love that the movie wasn't good no i heard they changed a lot from the musical to the movie i don't even i didn't even really recognize what they changed i just mm-hmm. remember being like this bad why is tom cruise here amen why is he here? Who invited him? Amen. Why is Alec Baldwin here? Amen. Why is What's-Her-Face um, Julianne Huff here? They The movie industry was really trying to make Julianne Huff happen. They really worked on that for a while. And I wasn't interested in it. I'm sure she's a very nice woman, but as soon as Julianne Huff was in something, I was always kind of like, Ugh. she feels like a tryhard. She feels like a huge tryhard. Also, she was dating Ryan Seacrest. I bet that's why. I bet he has a lot of pull. Yeah, maybe. So he was like, put my girlfriend in this movie. I don't, I'm not worried about Russia. I'm worried about Ryan Seacrest. <laughs> I can be worried about both. Um, Sam, I know that there was a, a jukebox musical you wanted to talk about that's burgeoning. You were like, if we have time, can we talk about this? Okay. I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say we have time. Absolutely. So quickly, you guys, I want to put out a, a, just an alert. I want it this on your radar. <laughs> Breaking news. Breaking news. There is a musical. It is currently running in London's West End. I obviously have not seen it. I do not live in London. It is called and Juliet. And the concept of it is, what if Juliet didn't kill herself at the end of Romeo and Juliet and instead starred in a musical? I think. Um, (laughs) And it is the music of Max Martin. And Max Martin is like a super producer, right? Like, even if you're not, even if you can't name a song by him, the name Max Martin probably sounds familiar. Um, He did like Backstreet Boys, early Britney Spears. But because of that, the, the range of music is from like, from like Backstreet Boys, from like Hit Me Baby One More Time, then you get like It's My Life, Bon Jovi, and then you get like Demi Lovato, What's Wrong With Being Confident. 
And I find that to be too wide of a range to be a successful musical. Fully agreed. That already seems kind of silly to me. Mm-hmm. That's like, what if Juliet didn't kill herself? I'm like, that sounds like a weird beginning. <laughs> that sounds like a student play. Yeah. I would only like it, I think, if it was a play, not a musical, and it was like laugh your ass off hysterical yes. like it was like an improv comedy troupe did yes. this I could see but then then like I could see that kind of like like kind of like Peter and the Starcatcher I loved Peter and the Starcatcher me too we both have a big big stuff I cried so Peter hard. and the Starcatcher but that was like laugh your ass off hysterical but also um kind of heartfelt mm-hmm. and and bait and kind of made fun of itself mm-hmm. in a little in, in a little bit ways so I could see maybe that working yeah maybe not but it so that's my thing is that like sometimes a musical comes out and like Xanadu you go what and then you go yes this is what I needed uh-huh. and that could be Anne Juliet or Anne Juliet could be Lennon we cannot know yeah so just if you are in London and you can go see it tell us what's happening over or there. if you have intel or just if you watch the trailer like I did and you have a lot of feelings and thoughts about it I would love to hear it but expect further updates on the Anne Juliet front. Yeah. But yes, that's all I had to say. Less important, Thank I would argue, you. to our world than microplastics. I would disagree. If there's two things to take from this episode, it's be aware of your plastic consumption and, and Google Anne Xanadu. Juliet. Okay. <laughs> two things, but three things. And three, watch Xanadu. I'm begging you. I'm begging you. Yeah, I think you make a, like, you make just like a, such a good point of Almost like this, if it's a jukebox musical, the music itself doesn't really have any bearing on the quality. Yeah. Like, put that from your mind. And if theater, being, having a tiny life in the theater has taught me anything, it's that you you don't know anything about its quality from the plot. Mm-hmm. The stupidest, stupidest plot could be the most moving, fabulous Absolutely. production. Yes. It's all about the heart that's behind it and the talent that's behind it. So if you've got heart and talent behind a jukebox musical, it's gonna great. Be good. But it seems like more often than not, that isn't there. Mm-hmm. And that tends to be there when people are doing their own fucking work. Yeah. So support new work. Yes. For God's sake. Absolutely. Like Six the Musical. Like Six the Musical. Like Hades Town that just won a million oh, awards. Yeah. That's yeah. by like a singer-songwriter woman who had never written a musical before. Yeah. But she was like, I have this crazy idea. And even something that you didn't see on the internet. Like just, I don't know. Go see your friend's shit. Go yeah. see community shit. Go yeah. see it. Um... But this was so fun. This Makes was a me blast. feel like I'm not even ingesting or respirating plastic. <laughs> you all still are. I still am. You still are. <laughs> I mean, we all are. We all are. You we are right are. now. Oh, we all no. Are. It's great. <laughs> oh, no. Um, but while you're ingesting that plastic, um, please comment, review us on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify, any of your podcatchers. Um, it really means a lot to us. Send us an email with something that horrifies you, something horrifying that happened to you, or just something nice. Yeah. Um, at I'm Horrified Podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter um, at I'm Horrified Pod. And until next week, we hope you stay horrified. Stay horrified.